for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the final episode of the fall part of the second This Is Us season. This episode is the 10th in that order, and it is called Number Three. So we've been doing this sort of experiment with the three Pearson siblings of doing episode eight was called number one, episode nine was number two, and this one is number 10 called number three and sort of taking a moment out and really looking at what happened that day that that Kevin's injury happened and what was going on with each of the kids from their points of view. And we learn a lot about our friend Randall this episode, who I have to say is my favorite Pearson kid. How about you? Yeah, the three for sure. Um, have they told us where he actually went to to school? I I feel like I'm not exactly sure about that. I don't think so. I bet if you like really craned your your neck around in the different scenes, there there's probably a college degree on a wall somewhere that I didn't take a lot of time to pay attention to. So I, there may be a, a sentence here or there, or he may have worn a sweatshirt or something, but I can honestly say that I, myself as a viewer, am not positive. Well, that is what the what the flashback part of the episode revolves around is this choice. Randall has had in his whole life this struggle of being around these people that love him but still missing something. Yeah, definitely having that cultural loss, that void of feeling like I just want some people to look like me, which we very much understand on a, on a very different level. We have three special needs kids and one of our children, uh, Lauren, is deaf and blind. And when we're in uh, big cities, specifically Austin for us, there are other people who use white canes and there's sort of like these little um, niche areas where there's housing for people with disabilities and we can see them a whole bunch in I always say to Paul, it's like seeing a purple person when you have like a purple person in your house and you never see them anywhere else. That's what I'm lovingly saying is like you get to see like finally like you're not alone. You see somebody else who looks like you or a member of your family and how comforting that is. And so I can really understand why Randall would have a lot of drive to want to find people who are like him. But is college the right place to do it? I don't know. Is college the wrong place to do it? It seems like that's the time to kind of stretch out of your own neck of the woods, right? So if you're a country person, you might seek out a city experience. Or if you're a city person, you might seek out another country or something, you know, like people kind of spend that time exploring areas that they haven't actually got to experience in life yet. But from my point of view and all my experience, going to college for all of us that have gone to college opens up certain doors, right? Yes. And depending on where you went, you may get other doors in addition open just for you, right? And the thing about Ivy League schools is that everyone agrees that those doors are unique to those people, mm-hmm. and, but they are also very like high level type doors. They're not available to the rest of us, no matter what. Howard, I understand, is going to have its own doors, but they're not going to be Ivy League doors. I think that that is a value judgment that has to be on the individual. Like, I think that it probably would open doors um, to, like you said, other businesses that maybe are black owned businesses or, you know, higher up steps within specific 
cultural areas. And I think that for him, if that's what he values, then he should pursue that. I agree with you that it would be more general. You might have more doors open to you if you didn't pick any niche school. Like It really doesn't matter that this happens to be about it being a predominantly black school. If you choose a you know any niche kind of school education, you're going to end up having less doors than if you choose something that's a, a widely known name. I really felt for Jack in this episode trying to reconcile that I think he feels the same way that I do that he's smart enough to go to an Ivy League school and it's not like he can't ever go back or get a master's or something like that. It's just more like he knows he can do it now, you know? And so, but he doesn't, but he doesn't want to squash this, this thing because he's recognized it in his son probably for a very long time that he can't give him everything that he needs. And this might be a chance for him to get it. So Jack is having his trouble reconciling the best way to motivate and feel like his son is being supported in the way that he needs. It's really, you could tell he was really struggling with what he, what he wanted to say. Instantly separated Randall from the family. So when they got to Howard and he had the opportunity to go with like the sort of main group tour versus with Jack versus going with the group of guys who that was Keith. That was Yvette's uh, son who Keith's been a good pal of Randall for years from the pool. Yeah. Yvette, which P.S. Yvette is Sterling K. Brown's wife in real life. Well, that's funny. So, yeah. So, but the, but the interesting thing about that is I want to tie in a lot of like why I think they did specific production things. One thing that would be interesting is if he ends up spending more time with Keith, who gets to be there more? Keith's family. Mm. And if you have, uh, for, Sterling, that might be something that he might be really excited to push for within the production would be to have his wife on screen more. So I could see where, you know, maybe some choices are being made, especially as Sterling is becoming, you know, sort of a standout star on within the, the crew, you know, here within the whole group. One of the things is we don't know that he goes to Howard. So um, the experience that he had right away, like I said, about separating from his family, I think any of us would have felt unnerved about going with your child to go tour a school and the first thing that happens when you get there is he chooses to go off without you that would feel like hmm you know already (laughs) feeling kind of bad and so when jack comes over to the guys and is like okay you know it's time to come with and right away randall isn't really keen on introducing him again very off-putting for jack you know like why are you acting like you don't even know me you know like I think that experience would happen if your kid did that. Forget the race stuff. Forget anything about black or white. If your kid was already sort of like pushing you to the side, you'd feel like, hey, you know, you're kind of hurting my feelings. What the hell? You know, you don't need to act like you don't know me instantly. That's so weird. What did you think about the conversation in the car where Randall reveals why he didn't actually want to introduce Jack? I... That did. That felt like like he didn't want to say why, and Jack let him off the hook. One of the things that, um, and I'm you guys, I'm, I I know I'm going to get this wrong, but I don't want to get this wrong, so I apologize already. Jack is an older dad. Like he didn't. The kids weren't around until he was like 38 or something like that. So with being as old as he, I mean, he's like older. I mean, he's older, older than probably a lot of the other parents. Yvette's probably 40, and he's like a good 
15, 20 years older than some of Mm. these other parents. So what I'm saying is, you know, though I think Milo is a cute guy, as Jack is an older guy, I mean, it could be embarrassing that you have what could be your grandpa as your dad. Okay, but I still think you let him off the hook. Like You think it's because he was white? Uh, lying? Uh, no, I think it was it was just more like I'm having a good time here with in a way that I've never had before. And now we got to go back and do the Kevin and blah, blah, blah dance. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just more like hanging out with you guys is kind of a drag compared to what's going on here. Yeah, I agree with that. And that, again, would be any kid. Like, that would be like, I mean, you're getting your this taste of freedom, this taste of excitement and... Acceptance. Acceptance. And and just like, oh my gosh, it's like the bright lights of the big city, right? You're like, oh my God, there's a party behind every door and just amazing things that you just never saw before. So that entire storyline ends up wrapping up with them going to the war memorial and Jack wanting to share that moment with Randall. Um, he's, he points at the, at the list of names on the war memorial and we can assume we're all making assumptions that he's pointing at Nikki's name. We think that's how we're supposed to assume it. Anyway, I mean, never in this portion does he mention his brother. Does he say Nikki's his brother? Does he mention anything about him when they're sitting on the bench and he has that conversation with Randall? Like basically, like you know, you can handle this, you can handle life, and I might not be around. That felt like beyond foreboding. That felt like not even the kind of thing you necessarily say to your kids. More like, um, what does Jack know? Hmm. Didn't it feel bad? Like, oh, why did he say I might not, I'm not going to be around? Like, I don't, oh. Well, he can't know, but. Unless he does. That's what I'm saying. Like, some people are floating suicide theories. Some people are floating. He knows something that we all don't know about what's up with him and that he's got a, 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 ticking clock in some way then i just don't know what goes into suicide because he is like very up in everything you know he's not he's he's trying to hold kevin kind of accountable for his behavior and actions even though he makes that weird apology in number one and you know he's he's touring all you know hundreds of miles away from home by car with randall to to see the colleges so he's like still it's an active dad doing all the stuff that says you're interested in what's going on around you, which I thought suicide was sort of like, you know, nothing going on around me matters. But, you know, I haven't really studied it. Seems crazy. The only thing that I can think is that is there something about, again, like his own drinking or his own, you know, issues in general that he does. He sometimes have these lows that we're just not aware of that he does contemplate stuff that isn't exactly you know portrayed to us i mean certainly him getting down on his knees and calling his sponsor and all that kind of stuff certainly you know is concerning that he does have these low times well it could just be that he's you know you mentioned he's older and that he is struggling so hard with kevin it's maybe he's just you know having very natural mortality type stuff like if i was taken right now would i have done a good enough job up to this point with this group. Maybe. I don't know. One of the scenes from the flashbacks that I, I don't want to overlook is, you know, they had started off each episode of this one, two, three trilogy of um when they're toddlers. 
And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Kevin walked, Kate stood there and cried. And not only did Randall walk, but he talked. (laughs) And I thought they, you know, they set that all up for like, you know, he has been an exceptional person from the get go. And he really is somebody who is always pushing to do more. And so I feel like it's funny, but despite the fact that I don't know very much about Howard or what doors would open, I'm like willing to give Randall the benefit of the doubt that he knows stuff that we don't know doors that it opens or things that it does that makes it worth considering putting the Ivy league to the side. So it's funny that like, I actually am like, Oh no, Randall's got this Paul. Like you need to worry about it. Like he's making a good choice. You know, isn't that funny? That yeah. they kind of set set us up for that, right? Well, we were just discussing um, ethos and uh, at lunch with Jack about Jack's pers- our son, not Jack Pearson. Persuasive <laughs> arguments, and uh, we were telling him you got you have if you if you're coming into a situation where where no one knows who you are, you have to establish your credibility. And uh, sounds like Randall is already coming to the conversation with that credibility. I yeah. feel that way. I mean, don't you? Well, he definitely. As, as far as his whole childhood, the only blip on the radar I saw was trying to, to meet that strange woman who said he, she was his mom. Other than that, he seems like he's had a pretty good head on his shoulders. And really, you can't really fault him for that being kind of naive about that. That wasn't really like, I'm choosing to make a bad decision. It's more like, I just want this so bad and I can't even, I don't even know better. So. Yeah, I, I do want to point out that if they if you guys are big on the fan theories about what Jack's uh, death is, there's tons on Facebook um, and the different This Is Us groups. And um, this most recent one, like I said, the people really felt like there was a lot going on with Jack sort of dropping hints. And one of the things that someone mentioned was, you know how Randall was playing Pac-Man in um, in the teen flashback and it zooms in on where it says game over. Somehow that like caught a bunch of people's eyes, mm, yeah. like that there was something to that that felt very um, spooky and like foreboding. I don't, I want to think that Jack is not the guy that would commit suicide. It doesn't make sense. But I can say that there's an awful lot of like, especially from like Rebecca. Remember that like bitterness and that anger that you talk about as she's older? Mm-hmm. That would certainly come if you felt like someone walked on you. You know, that they sort of left you holding all these responsibilities, you know, and maybe it's going to come from a place like we've talked about, like, what if something that he did caused the fire, either drinking or the wiring of the house or whatever. And so he has this tremendous guilt. Maybe he thinks Kevin did die in the fire. What if that leads to him doing something very destructive? Crazy, right? Lots to think about. It just doesn't seem like a suicide to me, but... Do you have um, a theory at this point as as this one's going through and we, we've seen some more back flashbacks here? Do you feel like that there's anything that was revealed that, that kind of caught your eye or just in general that like is like bugging you about it? It's sort of um, that, that uh, social urban legend theory of the blue car syndrome. Someone says something about a blue car and you just notice that there's a lot of blue cars all of a sudden. Ever since I read the electricity, electrical system in the house causes a fire theory or the washing machine in particular causes a a problem in the house theory. Everything in every episode that even relates to that seems to just scream. That's the truth of it. Cause you know, they've shown us three times now from three different perspectives the bloody fuse popping, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and how Jack is 
he's the man who who's who's supposed to have taken care of that and, and is supposed to take care of it in the future. So it's like they keep driving it home. Something with the electrical system in this house is not right. Now they've told us this is the mid season um, finale, and they've told us that definitively we will find out by the end of season two what happened to Jack. I feel like a lot of people are are starting to splinter in terms of like, why does everybody care so much about how Jack died? I think you should just enjoy the episodes. I'm with you on that. It colors the way you watch every single episode, every single scene, because you're like hanging on every word and looking around at that Pac-Man game saying game over. And also, and it kind of screws with you, right, as a viewer about like sometimes you do just want to watch the show and you can't because you I've always got this like Sherlock Holmes hat on. We have very few shows that we just watch. Fact. So yeah, when you put together a season premiere that ends on basically a cliffhanger that is not going to be revealed until 20 shows later, I think the creators are telling you, Hey, dumbass, care about this because we're <laughs> hanging it over your head starting now. Right. So the people that say, why can't you just watch the show? Were you in the bathroom when that played? <laughs> because they told us what to care about when they did that. I agree with you. And I th- I feel like, you know, again, it's sort of... Um you would have to be ignoring an entire element of the way that they storytell if you ignore, if you try to say, what difference does it make? And I had a friend, Steph, point out, I know Steph listens all the time, that says, you know, it, for for all of us, like, we have to know because it colors how we feel about the rest of what goes on. Like, for instance, if he does commit suicide and he bailed on everybody, wouldn't that change a little bit about how we feel about father of the year? You know, if he dies heroically, if Miguel does something like how it all happens colors the way we view him in totality. Mm-hmm. And the way that the rest of the Pearsons dealt with everything. So there's something to him dying of cancer or of him, you know, dying standing on the roof with the house on fire that all makes us feel differently about him. And Steph, I thought that was an amazing insight that, you know, it it colors how I feel about Miguel and Rebecca being together. It colors how I feel about Kate being so uh, frozen in her life at many points in time. If you knew how dramatic and how... um what the twists and turns of his death was. So it matters. They've made it matter, like you said. So let's talk about present day Randall and talk about what's going on with him. We have this Dacia story that's been going on for the entire first half of season two. Which they did what we asked. If you recall, we wanted to see a foster child story end in a new way. And we didn't know what that way was. We didn't count on mom straightening up and flying right. But that's what they gave us. And that's okay. Yeah, it was an interesting turn of events. And I loved how they used the flashbacks of William and expressing everything, how he felt about whether he was choosing to inject himself into Randall's current life and how he felt like, you know, there would have been all these benefits, certainly to knowing him and knowing his biological father versus having to try to, to grapple with. But, you know, I, I don't really know this kid's current life and he has a current life like going like the whole bicycle metaphor like I don't know how many times he's ridden that bike I don't even know which bike is his you know that there was this whole feeling of I think it's the right thing for him to be with me but is that really taking into account 
their whole life. Mm-hmm. Him, you know, driving by Shauna's house or apartment building and seeing that Shauna had bought clothes, you know, was pulling out the bag and and him realizing, like, I don't know if purple's her favorite color. And Beth having to admit, you know, I don't know either, but her mom would know. And so, you know, if she bought those things, that's probably true. I actually had like kind of a scary feeling when Randall and Beth were deciding that they were going to actually get a lawyer and fight Shauna on custody of Deja. I felt like Linda's face was like, are you kidding me? The social worker. Yeah. I mean, this is what you signed up for. Like you knew you would have to give her back. Do you think that it hurt their chances of ever getting another foster child by in your very first situation, blowing it up and being like, I'm going to call a lawyer to keep her forever. I'm sure that will be in Linda's mind if she ever calls them again. But Deja came to them really broken. Mom got her back in really good shape. She now has a perspective on a new way that life can be. It doesn't have to be this way where you rely on men that then just leave you holding the gun and in prison. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like that. And Randall gave that to her. So that kind of turnaround, assuming that she can remember what she learned and try to use it where she, when she's back at home, that will make them remain on Linda's callback list. However, on the whole, I thought there were dramatics, but I thought that Randall's current timeline had to be curtailed in order to accommodate the finishing up of Kevin. I thought that too. How do we feel that Randall sort of showed up, you know, and and doesn't really realize what's going on with Deja at all? You know, I mean, like we get the point of view of Randall this time. So Randall was actually like packing up bags and stuff for Deja to leave. It was a very tense time for him when Kevin knocked on the door and they have that conversation about Kate you know, again, sort of Kevin just comes in and and goes in there and makes a screwdriver in the kitchen in the morning. And it was kind of like, you know, what are you doing? I can't even believe that Kevin took the car like that. What was he doing? I don't know. What was he doing? I know he was upset and and everyone, you know, Tess and Annie were upset and, and were really like peppering him with questions and stuff. And they were upset about Deja and Kevin just sort of like was like at his wits end. And so he decides he's just going to kind of take off. It's really weird. Um, but oh, my God, when Tess popped up in the back seat because she just like wanted to spend some time with Kevin. What in the hell? I mean, certainly didn't you think Kevin was about to have a car accident? Like they showed it from his point of view with the blurry vision. And I was wondering if this is that kind of show that, that kills or hospitalizes a little kid or not. I'm glad it's not. I think getting arrested for drunken driving with your brother's daughter in the car I think that will suffice as a low point. Do you? I don't know. I mean, so ending up with a DUI, sort of ending up in a almost like how Kevin said, you know, just when you think, you know, it's it's all over for Kevin, something pops up again, like literally like, oh, you thought he was just starting to walk. Oh, just in time for him to get his dad. You thought he'd be down, but no, he goes to Hollywood and oh, he gets the girl and all that. A little bit, it felt like that. Like that whatever that invisible force is that constantly comes in at the last second and saves Kevin's ass. Didn't it kind of feel that way? Like 
that should have ended in a car accident. But Tess popping up and him having that momentary guilt and clarity that like, oh, my God, I could have hurt this kid and him getting arrested. Like, here's my one concern. How did he get arrested there? He kept driving, right? Well, they didn't show him pulling over, but we did see the cops start following him. But they didn't show him pulling over, Paul, which means he saw a kid in the car. He didn't immediately pull over. Because why would he get a DUI if he he just like pulled over into the next parking lot? Like chances are, no, the police would have continued on, right? He would have had to kept driving. And they they kind of implied that he was driving fast and loose. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, he was like swerving in and out of the cars. I don't know. I'm really worried that even though this is going to make a big deal, obviously he told Randall right away that it was a DUI and Tess was in the car and everything. I mean, it's all out in the open. There's no threes company moment here to happen where Randall and Beth are still looking and Kevin's going to try to hide it from them or anything like it's out in the open. Well, there is still he came in primed to say I need help with my substance abuse addiction. When Randall derailed him with the Kate news, he let himself stay derailed, you know? So I'm afraid I'm going to need on screen Kevin to tell somebody I'm addicted to painkillers. It's wrecked me. You know, I'm over because of these painkillers. I'm afraid we're still going to have another bad moment in order for that to happen. I just... I, as much as I see the DUI as a bad thing and, and certainly the niece and the car terrible, all this kind of stuff, it's still, there's something about it that doesn't feel fallen enough. I know that's awful, but it just doesn't feel, I mean, we all would have thought that losing his father's necklace would have been falling enough, you know? And in a way it was, I mean, he did go to Randall's and he was going to tell, but it's like, it didn't happen. And so this shit happens in threes, in my opinion. So it's like, sort of near miss with the necklace, near miss with actually being honest before, you know, taking off a test and everything. And it feels very like we got to have another time. Like we got to have another incident that happens before he finally breaks. He could get jail time. People in reality, you know, our world, when actors, popular actors get DUIs, it's usually a bad deal for them. You know, it could cost them their current job. it's, It's a very egg on their face kind of situation. It's uh, I mean, the rest of us don't have to go through that if that ever happens to us. Right. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting about the difference between this episode, Kate's episode and Kevin's is that Kate's episode ended with with a hopefulness, you know, getting back on track with Toby, coming back together, some healing with mom, thinking about trying again, you know, feeling like that. Randall, you know, them talking about fostering again, maybe it'll be a boy. And then they do that flash over to social services. And there's the most adorable, angelic little boy in them saying, oh, we're very hopeful. We're about to find out. I mean, good God, how (laughs) could it not be Randall and Beth's little boy? Right. Very hopeful. Kevin, not so much. Not so much at all, which is very imbalanced for a three you know like it's kind of feels like and uh, uh, you know like yeah. two out of three i don't know you know it feels kind of crazy i did feel like that they brought like every story to somewhat of a close for the mid-season which makes me feel like we're ramping up to a whole different climax for the second half of the season uh-huh. i mean we you know ended everything with kate so there's really nothing to pursue there we ended everything with deja 
even though deja vu means for sure that kid's coming back, right? <laughs> for sure. I think so. Like she's going to pop I back up in their lives. I do not It may either. not be episode 11, but I think we will see her. Coming back in. She's coming back in. Season three, you know, she'll be bebopping in for some reason or another. How do you think that it would feel if you were Kate to watch Randall and Beth end up adopting a, yet a third child? And here you are struggling, trying to have a child. Well, knowing Kate, that probably does mess with her emotionally and intellectually, but it's it's not really her place or her business to have really any opinion on it. If I was Randall, I'd be like, what of it, Kate? <laughs> you know, I've kind of run my own show over here for a long time, free of any uh, interference. So you have an opinion all of a sudden on how I'm doing my stuff over here? <laughs> well, okay. So again, I feel like Jack standing in the, in the doorway, looking at his family, they're all sitting together, playing different games and, and doing things and active in while cat Stevens was playing in the background and then game over on the Pac-Man game. It just feels like there's a real, if there was an ending sort of feel about everybody's stories for this mid season finale, there was an overall finality that, was given with these three episodes about Jack and like, we are really coming to a close and, Oh, I know it's I, how many episodes. Let's make some predictions here. How many episodes do you think that they will go before we finally find out? Will it be the finale of season two sure. or yeah, you don't eight, think there's any aftermath? Nine, however many there are in this, ep- this upcoming. So we're going to get no aftermath. You think it's not going to be like four or five in and then we get a couple episodes after his death. And then what? You're supposed to feel great and go into the summer break. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how quickly this is, this this show is going to be gonna revealed. Leave, leave your guts hanging out to dry all summer long oh while, while you wait to come back. My intestines are going to be all potpourri That's out right. in the sun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I have so enjoyed this is us for this first half of the season and i'm really looking forward to it coming back i understand it's coming back very early january last i saw it was january 2nd i hope that that still remained it had changed for me the the couple times i looked on imdb so we're hanging tight that we're gonna see it january 2nd um and man you guys i feel like this is gonna be a long break you know even though they tried to leave us on a little bit of a of a rest note it felt like Besides Kevin, I know the DUI, but at least we kind of feel like, well, he's off the road and hopefully safe in in a jail cell somewhere, right? Like, but you kind of feel like there's a rest note for the holidays, certainly with Randall's family and kids. Randall's not going to go get his ass out of jail. Uh, (laughs) Good question. Who is going to bail his ass? Do you think Rebecca comes? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Rebecca's busy over at Kate's house. Fact. Does that put her out of pocket for this, Sitch? Maybe. You know, that's somebody who I don't feel like we've had at all direct conversations with. Kevin and Rebecca. Like, very little screen time. We had a lot with Randall and Rebecca and a lot with Kate and Rebecca, but very little Kevin and Rebecca as an adult. Yeah. I mean, very little. their interaction this season might have been at the Manny episode, but I don't remember them being in the same place at the same time. Anytime other than that. That smells like we're due for some <laughs> mom time, doesn't it? Hmm. Feels like a sit down mama conversation with Kevin and some shit's got to get hashed out. 
cashed out. So we shall see. Well, thanks you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season. If you are a This Is Us listener, we won't talk to you again until January. So we hope everything goes super smooth for you and your family. And we'd love to talk to you about This Is Us on Twitter at Daily Review, on Facebook daily review also you can hit up on um any of the this is us fan pages we're on a ton of them we're as paul and caroline our actual names not daily review so please check us out and give us feedback we'd love to hear your theories for how they're going to handle the second half of season two thanks a lot catch us on itunes or your preferred podcast software our website dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.